Welcome to the Elevate Church podcast. Elevate Church is a Christian church in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and is made up of different people with one mission, to reach those far from Christ and His church. Today, tune in as we listen to a message from our sermon series, Build Your House, a sermon series about family. If you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, and I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I really am just so glad that you're joining us today. If this is your first time joining us, you picked a great day to join us because we're starting a brand new series today. We're starting a brand new series through the book of Romans. Just kidding. Uh, we finished up a 35-week study uh, through the book of Romans last week. That wouldn't make sense if you weren't here. But anyway, uh, and this week we are starting a brand new series that is going to focus around family. That's really what we're going to do. We're starting a, a brand new series called Build Your House. And as we start today, I, I wonder how many of you have ever tried to build something. Anybody ever tried to, to build something? I, I really think that if we were all to think about it, each and every one of us would have to admit that there's been some point in our life where we built something. You might have tried to build something out of wood. You might have tried to build something out of cardboard. You might have tried to build something out of Legos. You might have tried to build something with blankets, like a blanket fort. I don't know. Uh, But again, I think each and every one of us have tried to build something at one point in our life. Well, how many people are here this morning? And you'll just be honest that when you get something that needs to be put together and you need to build something that when you get it and you open it up, you don't look at the instructions. You just try to build it. See all my people, man. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's usually how I am. And I'll see those instructions and I'll see all those pages. I was like, I don't know if I can read all that. Uh, but man, I, I really, I, I really struggle with those instructions. I remember uh, when Amanda and I had our first child, when Brianna Grace was, was born, Amanda wanted to buy uh, a crib for Brianna Grace. She wanted to buy the perfect crib uh, for, for Brianna. And this was before Facebook Marketplace. This was uh, really before anything like that. And so you had to actually go to a store to look at things and buy them at a store. And so I remember we went down to the Walmart and uh, we're looking for cribs. And of course they've got cribs, but they didn't have the perfect crib, you know? And so we go to Target and they got cribs, but they didn't have the perfect crib. And so finally we go to several other stores and we end up making it at uh, Babies R Us. Anybody remember that one? They closed down. Uh, But we went to Babies R Us and there it was. It was the perfect crib for Amanda. That's what she wanted to get for Brianna. Uh, And so we buy it and we take it home. We get it to the house and uh, uh, immediately Amanda wants to put this thing together. I mean, immediately we both want to put this thing uh, together. So uh, we open up the box and if I'm exaggerating, it's only slightly, but I promise you there were 4,137 pieces in that box. Okay. And so we open it up and as we're opening it up, man, there is styrofoam that is going everywhere. The styrofoam that's in the box is breaking. It's sticking to our hands. It's like on our arms. It's on our clothes. It's in our hair. It's just, it's just really, it really is. It's everywhere, but we empty the box. We get all the parts out. And uh, I can't find the instructions. There, there are no instructions. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't need no stinking instructions. It's a bed, right? It's got four sides and a bottom. How, how, how hard could this really, really be? And so I'm trying to, to put this thing together. And it's got all these screws. It's got all these metal brackets. It's got all these metal pieces. And I really, I really can't figure it out. Of course, I don't want Amanda to know that I can figure it out. So I'm 
looking at the front of the cardboard box because on the front of the cardboard box is a picture of this crib, but it's not a color picture. It's just basically a drawing, an outline uh, of that crib. And so it's not really uh, any help. And so I'm trying to put this thing together. And have you ever had that feeling like somebody is just looking over your shoulder, watching you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like somebody's just looking over your shoulder, watching you and judging you. You know what I'm talking about? That's the feeling that I got as Amanda is behind me just watching. I mean, supervising. She was helping. She was supervising this project. And so I'm, I'm making some project, some progress though. And so, uh, the bed though, it's not really, it's not really sturdy. I don't know what's going on. And so it's starting to come together, but it's just not sturdy. And Amanda's like, are you sure that you're putting this thing together? Right. And I'm like, yeah, it'll sturdy up when you put the mattress in there. That kind of helps secure things. And, uh, she says, are you sure? Cause I don't want to put my baby girl in there and it fall and collapse on her. And I thought those were fighting words because did she really think that's what I wanted to, you know? Uh, and so I said, no, no, it's really going to work, work out. It's going to work out. And so I almost get done with this. And so I'm like, Hey, uh, why don't you go ahead and start, uh, start cleaning up the mess, put it, you know, we got this box, pick up some of the styrofoam, put it in the box. And so while I finish this up and so as she does that, and as I'm really trying to figure out like some pieces that I don't, I don't know, I don't know where they go. Uh, there's some extra pieces, I guess. And so I'm trying to figure out why the screws that are at the top are too long to actually go in there, but I'm almost done. And so as she's picking up all this trash, guess what she finds stuck to one of those pieces of the styrofoam. Do I know? She finds, she does. She finds the, the instructions and she's like, I found it. I found the instructions. Maybe you should read them. So she says to me. And so I was like, thank goodness <laughs> that you found the instructions. And so I, I look at the instructions and apparently they didn't send any extra parts. All those parts that I thought were extra uh, were pretty, pretty important. Uh, and so as I read the instructions, I realized I had done it all wrong, had to take the entire thing apart by myself and put it together. And uh, we got it done at like two o'clock in the morning. And so it was amazing. And, uh, you know, but again, here's the issue. Is it like when you really use the instructions man, it makes things a little bit easier, right? When you really follow the instructions, it makes things a little bit easier. And again, today we're starting a new series that's called Build Your House. It's a series on family. It's a series on, on, it's a series on, on how to really, really make your family life a little better. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Beatitudes of Jesus. We're going to look at some of Jesus' teachings from his most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at his instructions, because I want you to see what he says at the very end of that sermon. It's in Matthew chapter 7, and here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says at the very end of his sermon. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Let me stop, because again, what he's saying here is, hey, everybody who hears these instructions of mine, everybody who not only listens to these instructions, but who is willing to follow these instructions. He says, they're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I want you to notice something from that passage right there. Jesus says for both people, 
for the person who listens and applies what he is saying and for the person who doesn't listen and who doesn't apply. He says, for both of them, the rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against their house. Did you notice that? For both people's house, they had trouble. Listen to me, like it or not, your house is going to experience trouble. Your family will experience trouble. The rain will fall on your family. The streams will rise on your house. The wind will beat against your house. And if you and I want our families to stand firm, we need to make sure that they're built on the right foundation. We need to make sure that we're following the instructions. Come on, come on, man. Let me just ask this. Uh, how many of you would love your family and your house to be blessed? How many people want their family their house? If you're not raising your hand, it's for one of two reasons. Either you're not listening or you're a jerk. Either way, you need to do better. But seriously, hopefully you want your home to be blessed. You want your family to be blessed. Unfortunately, when we look at a lot of families today, instead of saying, wow, that family is so blessed, instead of saying things like that, we say things like, man, they're really struggling. We look at a lot of families today and say, man, their, their marriage is falling apart. We look at a lot of families and say, man, those kids are, are going down a dark path. We look at a lot of families and we say that their family is in trouble. We say things like that about other people's family. But if we were being honest, we'd have to admit that there are times when we say similar things about our own family. We say things about our own family like, why is this so hard? Why are things so difficult? Why does it seem like we're struggling financially? Why does it seem like we're, we're just living paycheck to paycheck? Why is everything so difficult? And the first word that comes to our mind when we think about our family is not the word blessed, it's the word stressed. It's overwhelmed. It's worried. And oftentimes the reason that life in our family is more difficult than it needs to be is because we're simply not reading and applying the teachings of Jesus. So during this series, we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus says in his sermon on the mounds, and we're going to look at ways that we can apply his teachings in our life and in our, our family. And I'm going to do my best to be as transparent with you as possible. I'll share a whole lot of stuff about my own family. I do that all the time, but I guess that I should really preface it by saying, uh, you know, my family is not perfect. It's not, I mean, look at the dummy who's leading this thing, right? It's me. We're not perfect. I'm no, I'm not, I'm not perfect at home, man. When my kids, when my kids are acting up and they're misbehaving, I, I don't just all of a sudden start singing, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. And as my angelic voice just bounces off of the halls and walls in our house, my kids and my family just join in singing, Kumbaya. I, that doesn't happen in my house. I do not sing Kumbaya. When my kids are acting up, I start singing songs from the great theologian DMX, which says, y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here. That's what I'm singing. Sometimes people say, Robert, your kids are so good, maybe in public. <laughs> oh, man, my kids are like cats, man. Out in public, they may purr and act all, all nice, but at home and the claws come out, they hiss. They learn all that from their mom. They do. Just kidding, but not really. I get my family as far 
from perfect, but we are being perfected by the power of God. And so let's look at what Jesus says. Let's look at how we can apply this in our life and in our family. If you got your Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 5. You can look at one verse today. One verse. Jesus tells us a lot of things to do, but it's just one verse today of something specific that he says. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, blessed. Everybody say blessed. That's what we want for our families, right? We want to be blessed. We want them to be blessed. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus says, if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, that you will be filled. See, folks, Jesus is smart. And he uses some words in this verse right here to kind of paint a picture for us. He uses two words. He uses the word hunger and the word thirst to create mental pictures for us because each and every one of us know what hunger and thirst means. See, how many of you have ever been hungry? Anybody ever been hungry? Man, my stomach's growling right now. It's hungry. What about this? How many of y'all have ever been thirsty? You've been thirsty in your life? It's happened to all of us. Lawson Cruz, my, my six-year-old this past, actually it was the week before last, he comes to me and he says, Dad, would you get me something to drink? I'm thirsty. I said, yes, son, give me just a second. I'll get it for you. Well, if you don't know this about me, I have the attention span of a gnat. I mean, I'm just all over the place. And so he asked me to get him something to drink. And guess what? I forgot. And so about 15 minutes later, he comes into the living room and he's like, dad, I'm so thirsty. And he falls out on the couch like he died (laughs) for dramatic effect. But to hunger and to thirst, we all knows what those, we all know what those words mean. Hunger is what drives us to El Sombrero after church. Thirst is what drives us to get something to drink at the gas station. It indicates this deep desire, this sort of craving that each and every one of us are familiar with. Well, Jesus doesn't say, if you hunger and thirst, that you will be filled. You will be blessed. He doesn't say, hey, just be hungry. Just be thirsty and you'll be, you'll be filled. That's not what he says. No, he is very specific in what he says. And he says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled. Now, I was reading that, and my mind started to think about that word filled. What does that actually actually mean? See, that word filled in our language, in the English language, it has several different meanings, several different interpretations. Like it could talk about a, a position where you were. It could say, hey, we were looking for a position. We had a vacant position, so we took applications to hire a new candidate, but now that position has been filled. It could also refer to maybe when you, you go somewhere, when you go to, go to, go to eat somewhere and, and the waiter or somebody comes by and they fill up your, your drink. They fill your drink back up with water or sweet tea or coke or whatever it is that you might be drinking you know what I mean it just that's what they do that's what it means well for some reason as I was thinking about that word filled I started thinking about my refrigerator and you might not be like me but I have this bad habit of constantly walking to my refrigerator and opening the door and looking in it anybody do you do that pretty often I do that all the time I'll open up the refrigerator and it will be full It will be full, but I won't see what I'm looking for. I won't see what I'm looking for. And so I'll close the door and I'll walk away. And then 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, I'll walk right back to the refrigerator and I will open the door as if something new has magically just appeared in there. That's what I do. I open the fridge and there is stuff 
in there, but it's not what I'm looking for. And what's wild is when I open the fridge, I don't even know what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for something, but it's not there. Whatever it is that I'm looking for, it's not there. It's missing. And I keep going back and back and back, just hoping that it's going to show up. Again, am I the only one that does that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I think that a lot of our homes are like that. Not necessarily our fridge, but our homes. I think a lot of our homes are filled with all sorts of things. They're filled with all sorts of things and anything and everything except what matters the most. And we look around and we know, we know that something's missing. We know it. We look around and they're filled with all sorts of of things, but our homes sometimes still feel so very empty. Well, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for they will be filled. That word filled in the Greek, it literally means to be satisfied. So the literal translation of that is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In your home, in my home, in your family, in my family, we want to be blessed We want to be satisfied. You don't want your home to be lacking. We want it to not be lacking. And if that's what we really want, Jesus says, then you need to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. A question that each and every one of us really need to be asking ourselves is, what are we hungering and thirsting for? What are we really hungering and thirsting for? And we need to be honest. I mean, when you really look at your life, what is it that you are craving? What is it that I am craving? Some people in their home, they just want more material things. I want a, I want a bigger TV. I want a nicer car. I want a, a nicer house. We hunger and we thirst for comfort. We hunger and thirst for our kids to be the champion of the traveling tournament underwater swimming soccer team. We want them to be on the traveling team. We just want that for our kids. We crave things like that. Truth is, most people in our culture today are craving so many wild things. And if we were to be honest, we'd have to admit that there are a lot of days when we're just like that. There are a lot of days where you and I are pursuing something, perhaps even many things above God. We aren't really hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're hungering and thirsting for other things, the wrong things, things that will never fill you, things that will never satisfy. Again, we want satisfaction in all areas of our life. We really do. And companies and marketing agencies, they know that about each and every one of us. And so they do their best to capitalize on that desire that we have when they're trying to sell us something. Think about Snickers, right? Snickers says what? Satisfy your hunger. Think about all the products that are available to you and to me when we go to stores and they say things like, buy this product, satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. But think about that with all the satisfaction guaranteed products that are out there. Why is it that we live in a world that seems to be filled with more people who are dissatisfied? Why is it that even when we get what we want, we always want more. It's still not enough. There is this craving within us that says, I need something else. 
Solomon, who is the richest man who has ever lived. Solomon, who is the wisest man who has ever lived. He has some words for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to see him. Solomon says this, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. He goes on to say in verse 4, he says this, I undertook great projects. I built houses. Do you see that S on the end of that word house? House is, that is plural. Like some of us are like, I just want one house, right? This joker had a lake house. He had a cabin, a barn dominium, a farmhouse. He had houses. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. Solomon had parks and gardens and zoos, man, with wild animals, monkeys and peacocks, llamas and emus. He had it all. He says, I built gardens and parks planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Watch this. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. This is crazy. He says, I acquired male and female singers. What? That's amazing. See, this was long before radios, and this was long before CDs. This was long before Spotify and Apple Music and Pandora or whatever it is that you listen to. This is even before cassettes and eight tracks and records. They didn't have any of that stuff. And so Solomon would walk around with an entourage of rappers and rock singers and country music singers and boy bands and girl bands. And they just followed him around and added soundtracks to his life. Could you imagine like trying to change to the next song and everybody just moving around you? Oh, well, let me get in place. That's wild. It's amazing. He had a harem as well. All the delights of a man's heart he had. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What I want you to see is that Solomon had it all. He had it all, but the Bible says that none of that satisfied him. At the end of the day, it was all junk to him. It was all meaningless. And I promise you that all the stuff that you and I usually chase, it will never satisfy you. It won't satisfy me. Jesus even says that. He says, hey, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be filled, you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if we really want our families to be blessed, it's only going to happen when we change our appetites. If we really want our families to be blessed, it's only going to happen when you and I change what we hunger and thirst for. If you and I want our families to really be blessed and satisfied, it's only going to happen when we change the things that we crave. David, who is a man in the Bible known as, uh, uh, is known as a man after God's own heart, he says it like this in Psalm 63 verse 1. He says, you, God, are my, are my desire. You are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Do you see the language that David is using there? He's not saying God is just a little important to him. 
He's saying God is what he longs for, what he thirsts for. What if we were to, to change this verse, not to change the Bible, but what if we were to kind of interpret this, this verse for our family? Here's what it would say. We got it on the screen for you. What if your family adopted this saying? You, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. Wouldn't it be nice if your whole family adopted that mentality? Come on. Think about all the other stuff that we long for. Think about all the other stuff that we live for. God, please help my child be on that traveling baseball team. I worship you, traveling baseball team. You dictate what I do all day, every day, especially on the weekends. I long for you. Doesn't that sound weird? But that's what people that's how people live. Some people are like, man, I'm longing for that job that pays $20 an hour. You are my God. I long for you. Doesn't that sound dumb? You say, no, Robert, you tried to buy groceries lately. Yeah, a lunchable went from costing a dollar to two dollars and seventy-five cents. But hopefully you get the picture. We long for so many other things. We thirst for so many dumb things and stupid things. It's no wonder that our homes are filled with all sorts of stuff. Yet they still seem so empty. Again, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So how do we do that? How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do we create an atmosphere in our homes where our family can hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let me give you three quick things. Three quick things if you want to write them down. The first one is this, how to create a hunger and thirst for righteousness in your family. The first thing is this, you got to involve God in your daily life. You got to involve God in your daily life. Think about the commitment that Jesus asked us to make. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says this, Hey, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and they must take up their cross daily, daily, and follow me. You say, Robert, I gave my life to God when I was 16. Robert, I gave my life to God when I was 20. I gave my life to God when I was 30, when I was 40, when I was 50. Hey, that's great. That's great. But Jesus asked for a daily commitment. Amanda and I got married on May 24th, 2003. It was the happiest day of her life. Ask her. It was also the happiest day of my life. It really was. But we committed to one another on that day. And we have committed to one another each and every day since then. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. If you really want to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you need to involve God in your daily life. So how do you do that? Well, first off, you can make a commitment actually to involve God in your conversations. When you're talking about anything, just involve God in your conver- in your conversations. And it might sound weird at first, but it's really simple to do. If you're driving down the road and you see a pretty sunset, don't just say, wow, that's beautiful, isn't it? Don't just say that. Say, wow, look at what God did. Look at what God painted for you and I to enjoy. When something good happens in someone's life that you know, and you just don't, don't just say, man, that's great that that happened to you. Say, man, you are so blessed. God is so good. 
when you do things like that, what you're actually doing is you're simply showing that God is always part of the conversations that you have in your life. Another way to do it is to simply pray. You say, Robert, I pray each and every day. Well, that's great, but don't just pray silently to yourself. Pray for your family and with your family. Ask my kids. They'll tell you we do that. I take Brianna Grace and Sadie Kate to school each and every day. And as we're riding in my truck, we're not just riding there in silence. You know what I'm doing? I'm praying for them. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm, I'm actually speaking scripture over them. I do that out loud. They hear it each and every day because I want them to know that God's word is valuable. I want them to know that praying is valuable. I just want them to know that they need God because I need God. And I don't just do that for the kids that are in my home. Uh, for the past two months, really, we've been picking up somebody, uh, one of Amanda's friends' uh, kids and taking them to school. And even though she ain't my kid, guess what I do each and every day? I pray for her. She's in my car, right? I pray that she would be blessed. I pray, God, would you bless her and keep her? Would you make her your face shine upon her and be gracious to her? Would you lift up your countenance upon her and give her peace? Again, I speak scripture over them because I want them to know that it is important. And after I pray for them, I'll say amen. And you know how my kids respond? Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, involve God in your daily conversations. Pray daily in your marriage when you have a decision to make don't just say hey what do you think we ought to do should we lay out the the pros and cons why don't you say to one another hey what do you think god would want us to do involve him in the decision making when you do that what you're actually showing is that jesus is the center of your marriage when you do that in your family you are showing that jesus is the center of your family see i don't know about you but but i don't i don't want a christian family and I know that that might sound weird. That might sound shocking to some of you, but, but I don't want a Christian family. I want a Christ-centered family. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want, a, I want a family that has Christ at its core. We take communion in our home each and every week. We put a candle in the center of the table, and I'll ask Lawson, hey, Lawson, what does that candle represent? And he'll say, Jesus. And then I'll ask, hey, why do we put this candle in the center of the table? And what they say is, the response is, because Jesus is the center of our lives. And then I'll pray, Father, we light this candle as a symbolic act to acknowledge your presence in our home. We place this candle in the center of the table to illustrate that you, Father, are the center of our lives. We welcome you here. I'm telling you, I want Jesus to be the center of it all. I want my family to be centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. In my mind, there is a huge difference between a supposed Christian family and a Christ-centered family. Did you know that some studies show that 87, 85% of Americans claim to be Christians? 85. I don't for one minute believe that that's true. Because when you look at our, our nation and you look at all the turmoil, there's no way that's true. When you look at our state, when you look at our city, there's no way that that's true. When you look at the churches and you see nothing but turmoil, there is no way that that is true. We need Christ as our center. That's what we need. So to create an environment where this can take place, you need to involve God in your daily life, in your daily conversations. You need to pray daily. Try it. Try it. The second thing real quick that I want you to see that'll help create a hunger and a thirst for God in your life and in your family is to make church a non-negotiable. 
make church a non-negotiable. If you're going to be a Christ-centered home, guess what you should do? You should make the worship of your Lord and Savior a priority and make it non-negotiable. You commit to take one hour, at least one hour a week, where you come and you honor the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who gave you life, the one who gave his life for you. You come to worship him and to hear the proclamation of his word. Because remember, remember Romans? Remember Romans? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you tell your church, you tell your family, we're going to church, period. That's what's happening. We're going to church, period. I heard about this mother who went in one Sunday morning to wake up her son to tell him it was time to get ready for church. And when she went to wake him up, the son was like, I'm not going to church anymore. And the mom said, well, why is that? And the son said, I'll give you two reasons. The son said, one, they don't like me there. And two, I don't like them either. And so the mom looked at the son and said, well, I'll give you two reasons why you need to go to church. One, you're 49 years old, and two, you're the pastor. You need to be there. <laughs> Some people look for any and every reason not to come to church. They look for all sorts of excuses to miss church. Some folks have missed so much church, they no longer miss church. But I'm telling you, I love church. When I go on vacation, I want to go to church. Ask my kids, ask my wife. I'm like, let's go to church. And they just look at me. What? We're on vacation. I love church. And I talk to people all the time and they're like, oh, I don't want to push that on my children. I want them to be able to decide for themselves. Look, don't be an idiot. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Do you know what this world is pushing on your children each and every day? Do you know what the world is shoving down their throat each and every day? You better get them to church. Joshua, who was the, the leader of Israel after, after Moses in Joshua 24, 15, he says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He doesn't say, but as for me, I will serve the Lord. He says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Parents, you need to make church a priority for your family. If you don't, if you don't, what are you really communicating to them in regards to how important God and the things of God are? If it's okay to miss a Sunday and sleep in once or twice, why wouldn't they think it's okay to sleep in and miss church three or four times or five or six times? And then what would keep them from saying, hey, if we can miss church once, why, don't, why do we have to even go at all? You say, is church really that important? The answer is yes. Yes. Look, I know that church doesn't save you. Only Jesus Christ saves you. It is all about Jesus. But look at what Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says. It's talking about Jesus. And it says that Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Do you see that? As was his custom. As was his habit. Do you see that? Folks, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to go to church, if he needed a habit or made it a habit of going to church, how much more do you think that you and I need to make that a habit? 
Again, if you want to create a home where there is a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you need to involve God in your daily life. You need to make church non-negotiable. And men, listen to me, you need to lead your family in this way. It's terrible that so many ladies are the ones who take their kids to church. Men, we should lead the way in this. We tell our wife, honey, this is what we're doing. We're going to church. We tell our kids, this is what we're doing. We're going to church. Church is non-negotiable. And finally, the last thing that I want you to see, if you really want to create a hunger and righteousness for God in your family is this. You need to show how seeking and serving God is fun. You need to show how seeking and serving God is fun. Man, look, it amazes me. It really amazes me how we talk our kids into doing certain things, right? Like, like sports. We'll look at a four-year-old. We'll look at a five-year-old. We'll say, hey, you want to play soccer? And you want to play baseball? And a lot of times they'll say, no, I don't want to. But then we'll say, come on. It'll be so fun. You're going to love it, right? And then they say, okay. And then they get out there. And so I know that sometimes we get out in the backyard with them and they have a good time. You know what I mean? Not too long ago, we were not too long ago. What was that? Not too long ago, I asked Lawson Cruz, I said, hey, man, you want to go out in the yard and play baseball? He was like, no. I was like, come on, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Come on out there, let's play baseball. And so he says, okay. And so we get out there, and we're playing baseball, and we're running around, and he's having a good time. And Sadie Kate looks outside, and guess what she sees? She sees us having a good time. And she comes out, and she's like, can I play? I'm like, yeah, come on and play. And so we're still out there playing. Now it's me, Lawson, and Sadie Kate, and Brianna looks outside, and guess what she sees? She sees all of us out there. And so she's like, hey, I want to come out there. And so she starts like even Amanda was out there playing baseball with us. We were out there having a good time. We do all sorts of things like that with our kids. All of us do. And they see that it's fun. And oftentimes they'll stick with that sport for years and years and years. Sometimes they'll stick with that sport for the rest of their life. They're going to be involved in that sport for the rest of their life. Well, why don't we do the same things with our kids when it comes to the things of God? Serving God and seeking God. We should. And some of us do, I don't know if you know this or not, but every week there's a lot that happens for a Sunday morning service to go, to take place. Every week they're putting chairs out for everybody to sit in. And if you were to come in early, what you'd get to see is that there's a lot of times there's, there's kids that are two and three year olds and they're pushing chairs into their spots and they're just smiling because it's so fun. That's how it is. When Lawson Cruz was two, I got a picture of him right here at the church. Right here at the church. That's him. That's not my bald spot. That's his. <laughs> but look at him, man. Taking trash out right there. Man, parents, teach your kids that serving God is fun. Because it is. I promise you, man, I have fun serving God. I have fun seeking God. Seeking God and serving God has led me to other countries. It's led me to meet some of the most amazing people that I've ever met in my life. Serving God led me to prison, not as an inmate. I didn't go there as an inmate. Some of y'all are thinking, he is from Pearl. What happened there? But again, I went to prison. I've been to prison, several prisons all over the Southeast to play softball against the inmates. Some of those inmates who are in there have committed murder. You can always tell who's in there for violent crimes based off of the color striping on their pants. It's usually a red or pink and white stripe as opposed to a black and white stripe or a green and white stripe. 
in Florida in the prisons that we went to, the only way that we could play softball with the inmates was if the bat was chained to home plate because they didn't want somebody to take that bat and beat somebody to death in the prison. But it was fun. Look, I met my wife seeking God, not in prison. She wasn't there. But when Amanda and I got married, man, we went on our honeymoon. And the very next week, guess where we went? We went to serve at a youth camp. That's what we did. I promise you, I have smiled more since I came to know God. I have laughed more since I started serving God. Serving God has been fun and serving God is a blessing. We've got to show our families that. We've got to. We got to let our kids see, man, come on, this, this is fun. This is re- rewarding. This matters. I want to show my kids, again, that serving God is fun. I want to show my kids how to seek God. Do you want that for your family? Have you ever noticed how sometimes when you go out to eat as a group and maybe there's a child there that sometimes an adult will call on a child and ask them to pray. And when they ask that kid to pray, the kid's like, they look scared to death. Have you ever seen that? They look scared. Some, sometimes adults are like that. I don't want to pray. Uh-uh. It's like, it's like you're asking them to sit on zombie Santa's lap or something like that or talk to that clown from that movie. It, you know, they're, they're just scared. Man, we got to do a better job. We do. Shouldn't be like that. Your kids, my kids, your family, my family, they should see us enjoying the time that we spend seeking God. Let your kids get in your truck or in your vehicle and let them hear you listening to the word of God. Let your kids see you reading the word of God. Let your kids hear you praying and let them see you seeking God and do it in such a way that it will inspire them to seek God the same way. See, folks, I'm wrapping up, but what did Jesus say? Again, Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Did you see that? For they will be filled. It doesn't say they might be filled. It doesn't say they could be filled. It says that they will be filled. It's what it says. It's a promise. And I'm telling you the same thing that Jesus said. If you want your family to be blessed, you need to seek God. If you want your family to be blessed, you need to hunger and you need to thirst for him. See, folks, there's this old saying that says you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Could it be the reason that so many families are struggling and overwhelmed is because they're feeding on nothing but the junk the world offers them? Could it be that the reason why so many marriages are in in trouble is because all they're feeding on is the junk that this world has to offer? Could it be that the reason some of us in this room might have families that are struggling is because we're simply not Christ-centered homes? Could it be that the reason why some of our homes are filled with stuff yet still feel so empty is because we're just hungering and thirsting after the wrong things? Listen to me, that can change today. It can change today. You and I, we can lead our family to truly being satisfied by changing what it is that we hunger and thirst after. See, we looked at part of this verse earlier, but I want to look at the, the rest of it just to wrap up. But it's Joshua 24, 15. Joshua's talking to the people of Israel. He's trying to tell them something important. And look at what he says. He says this. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day 
Choose for yourselves whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying that you have a choice to make. I'm telling you this morning, you have a choice to make. And if you really want your house and your family to be blessed, you need to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because Jesus promises that if you do that, you'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. So what is it that you really want from your family and for your family today? You get to decide. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life today, but I do wonder today if maybe you're here and you would just admit that you've not been chasing and craving the things of God. You've been hungering and thirsting for what the world has to offer. That's what you've been consuming and it still has left you feeling empty. Today, I want you to know that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the deep desire of your soul. And so if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you're here today and you want to be made complete, if you're here today and you want to give him your life, I want to encourage you to do that. So right where you are, if that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for all of my sin. Would you save me? Father, right now, I confess you as Lord and Savior. Would you forgive me of all the things that I've been chasing? Father, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I would only want to pursue the things that you have. Mold me into a new person, I pray. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today if you're here in the room and you prayed that prayer to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, would you do me a favor? And right where you are, would you just lift your hand? Amen, Father. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for new life. I thank you for these who have raised their hands, saying that they've given their life to you. Father, I pray that when they walk out these doors and the devil tries to tell them that that's not real, that didn't happen, Father, I pray that you would remind them of this. But God, I also want to lift up each and every one of us in this room who calls ourselves a Christian, who calls ourselves a follower of you. Father, may we look at our life and think about what it is that we are truly seeking. And Father, help us to change our appetite. Help us, Father, to to hunger and thirst for you. Help us to realize that, that loving you and serving you can be fun, Father. It can be good. It is good, Father. Help us to see. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Elevate Church, or if you'd like to gather with us and join us in worship on Sunday, visit us online at elevatechurch.ms for information, past services, directions, and more. Again, thanks for tuning in today. Be blessed, bless others. The best is yet to come.